Hello, I'm Kevin Richard. Well, you know, I say this before just about every election, so I'll forgive you if you roll your eyes for a second, but I'm going to say it again. This is a really big election coming up. The school elections on the ballot on Tuesday across Idaho carry some really high implications. We're talking about more than $734 million of bond issues and levies across the state. West Data is seeking $500 million for school facilities. That is the largest school ballot measure in state history. And it goes beyond the numbers even. The Coeur d'Alene School District is seeking uh, a supplemental levy and they are saying that if it fails, schools might close, extracurricular activities may be on hold, school sports may be on hold, school electives will be on hold. So there's a lot at stake in these elections on Tuesday. And to try to make sense of what's on the ballot and what's on the line, I'm joined this week by Quinn Perry, the Deputy Director of the Idaho School Boards Association. Here's our conversation. Well, Quinn, thanks again for joining us on the podcast. There is a lot to talk about with this election coming up next week. Uh, I wanted to start with sort of your sense of it going into Tuesday. What are you most interested in? And we'll dive into more detailed questions as we go, but I want to get a sense of what are you watching most closely? What is Quinn Perry watching? Great question. I, I'm very anxious about the West Ada levy. I think this is a high stakes levy um, where we see a school district going after a plant facility instead of a bond. And I think it's going to be fascinating to see how that one plays out. Um, I, I really want to commend the West Ada team. I think they have done you know all the right things in preparing for this facility levy and uh, the right messaging around it. But I'm also watching a lot of these high-stake supplemental operational levies, mm -hmm. particularly Coeur d'Alene, West Bonner, Lakeland, uh, Salmon River Join over in Riggins. There's a lot of school districts who have what I would call a high-stakes levy on their ballot, meaning they they lose this levy. There's could be some major shift in operations at that local school district level. Let me start with West Ada, because that is the biggest uh, request, and it's such an unusual request, the, the plant facilities levy. As you've watched what they're trying to do here, what do you see as the pros and cons of going with this approach, and how applicable is the West Ada model to other school districts? Yeah. Well, you know, I, I have to give some context that, you know, during uh, when West Ada announced their levy, it was during the legislative session and there were quite a few legislators who kind of, you know, really questioned if this was the right move for West Ada and particularly because it doesn't have the supermajority requirement. And, you know, my response to anyone who has a concern is that school districts are doing the best they can with the limited tools available to them to meet the operational needs of their school district. And, you know, one pro about West Ada is that they have huge tax base. I mean, they're the most populated school district in the state. Um, they have a very low comparatively levy rate than to many other neighboring school districts. Um, so I think they're able to get a high dollar amount on there without really see, breaking the proverbial piggy bank of mm -hmm. folks when they're looking at their tax assessments. Um, so I think I think it's an interesting approach. Um, I think there is definitely a fair bit of scrutiny, but again, I think a school school districts know that you know to get these kinds of accomplishments done, it 
it's very difficult to do it through a supermajority where you, for every no vote, you have to get two yes votes. It's a very convoluted process. And, you know, I think the cons are, well, going to the pros still, I think, like I said, I want to commend the West Data team because I, I really feel like I've watched them through this whole process. You know, they're local and about, I think a majority of the ISBA staff live in the West Data School District or have kids attending kind of a district there. So I'm a little bit more intimately aware of what's happening, but, you know, they did a big survey at the beginning and they had over 10,000 respondents. And I think that's fairly decent for a facility planning survey. They had a huge coalition of folks who helped decide really what it should look like. They really did the work when it came to what's better and more advantageous for the constituents. Is it a bond where you have millions and millions of dollars of interest payments, or do we do it over time over a 10 year period? And I think, you know, to show that they're touching every school in the community, I think is also a huge plus. Um, and that is again, a benefit of being a large school district where you know, you can run a, a, a 50 million per year over 10 year levy and be able to really impact each community uh, school that folks are used to interacting on a daily basis, whether that's where you go to vote or where you go to watch your kids play soccer, where you're dropping your kid off every day. So I think those are all some really big pros with the West Data levy. I think the downside is, is that I historically for high dollar investments and particularly infrastructure, you've gotten the community buy-in by a two thirds majority, right? Where 70, you know, 67% of the voters have agreed to essentially tax themselves for that. And for a plan facility, you only need 55%. But at the same time, the school district's needs are the same. They still have facility improvements. They still need these in-demand programs that the school district needs to be met. And all at the expense where the state legislature has still failed to invest in facilities and maintenance and all of these things. So, you know, I think I think there will be some uh, likely consequences. Like, I'm just going to be blunt about it. I think there are people who are probably eyeing policymakers who are eyeing changes to the plan facility levy. And I, I, I want to be blunt about that. At the same time, I think that West Data has done what they've needed to do. And I think this is just one approach where they're they're picking up the buck where it stops coming from the state. And I was struck this week in reporting on this, uh, talking to Derek Bob, the superintendent in West Data, and also talking to Lisa Boyd, the uh, superintendent in Valley View, where they're running a bond issue. You know, Derek Bob kind of conceded that their circumstances are unique. They're a district with a relatively low debt ratio at this point and huge growth, so a really growing tax base that enabled them to make the numbers work for a plant facilities levy. But then talking to Lisa Boyd in another really fast growing district, I mean, Valley View is growing rapidly as well. She felt like when they ran the numbers in Valley View, they couldn't make it work at their current levy rate. So the only way to make it work would be to raise the levy rate, which would be really politically risky. Right. Quarterly. I think you're totally right. I just think it shows like there's no one size fits all yep. approach to every school district in the state of Idaho. I mean, there's just not. Just like when we, I, I've said on this podcast before, impact fees, they're really great for growing districts, but they're not a silver bullet and they certainly don't help areas that aren't growing. Which is why, again, I think the state has to take a multifaceted approach to school facility investment, you know, where, yeah, the stories aren't the same and they're not even that far apart. I think West Data and Valley View probably touch in some areas of 
And you're right. I just think it's not a, an approach I see every district taking. It just happens to work for what West Data is trying to accomplish. And I think that says a whole lot about the research and kind of community involvement that went into this very high dollar. I also don't want to ignore the fact that like, this is half a billion dollars. Yeah, this we, is a record. Either way, you slice it. Yeah, they're very cognizant of that too. But again, um, you know, I, <laughs> you know, school, people forget that you have to paint a school every so often. You have to replace the flooring. HVAC systems are dying. These things that cost a lot of money that need investment, it's going to take high dollar approaches to really get schools into shape over a decade of time. And a decade of time is not that long, I have yeah. learned as I have hit my mid 30s. And um, so, yeah, I think it's just. Uh, we're going to see how it plays out. I'm also commending West Data for running it in a May election. It is good that, uh, you know, there's library trustee races on there, but I think they're going to get pretty good voter turnout in uh, the West Data School District for folks turning out for this levy as well. Yeah, it just really, my takeaway feels like no matter what happens with West Data next week, whatever might happen at the legislature next session on this issue, this does not feel like this is going to be the norm or that it's going to replace bond issues that this is going to be a a, a cure-all for what all districts are facing totally agree I, I do not see every school district switching to solely a plan facility now plan facilities are still a necessary bond le or levy where school districts have facility upgrades that might need investment but you're right i don't see this as replacing the bond indebtedness uh, question and i still see school districts like Valley View, who I think this is their third attempt to get a bond passed when I think a majority of their elementary schools are, are bursting at the seams quite literally. So um, so I think you're right. I don't think it's going to replace it, but it's a tool that some communities in particular may benefit from. So let's shift to Coeur d'Alene. I mean, you know, it's such a pivotal supplemental levy up there. I mean, we're, you know, it's it's so I don't, I've never seen anything quite like this where a district this large is talking about if this levy fails, we may have to close schools. We may have to get rid of school sports and extracurriculars and electives. I mean, really, really high stakes in this election. Extremely high stakes. And, you know, I think I think it's really bold of Coeur d'Alene to be kind of blunt and honest about what's going to happen if this levy fails. I mean, we can no longer, I think, as school officials really expect our levies to pass without any work, right? Like that—that that is no longer the norm, especially in these high contentious areas like Kootenai County. But it's also really important for the public to realize like the state doesn't provide money for athletics and for extracurriculars. Those are all paid for at the district level. And, you know, we don't want to charge parents and create inequities for families who can't afford it. So school districts do what they can to have these programs because we also know they're a benefit to kids. I think Coeur d'Alene too, um, you know, I remember there, they had an, an old, a superintendent a few years ago, his name was Steve Cook, and he, he participated in the Our Kids Idaho Future Task Force. And they talked a lot about the fact that 20% of their operations were relied on the voters every two years. And I think every, I've said this a million times, no school board member or superintendent or their, any of those district level staff are having any fun when it comes to running a bond or a levy. It's extremely stressful. 
you are super under the radar. You have to be extremely accurate in how you're communicating it, but also you have high stakes. You have to make sure your budget is met or you're gonna have to make cuts. That's just the reality of it. And, you know, we talk a lot about, I think a majority of it is going to salaries or a large portion of this $25 million levy is going to salaries. And Port Elaine is an expensive place to live and to raise a family. And even though the state has made very bold and necessary investments into teacher salary and benefits, it doesn't work in every community. We know that we're Bl Blaine County is one of the most expensive places to live. Coeur d'Alene is up there. It is a very high market value where if you want to become a teacher and raise your family there, then the school district has to figure out how to keep up your salary, let alone the fact that you could drive to Spokane and likely make maybe double of what you're getting paid or allocated or reimbursed by the state of Idaho. So, you know, some of it is just, it's just convoluted. Again, what we can pay and maybe the notice school district is different than what you can pay in Coeur d'Alene. And a lot of that is just based on the community circumstances. Um, and even though like the legislature made recent investments into salaries, it, it may not cover what it actually costs to attract and retain these necessary positions in our schools. And, you know, you can certainly discuss and debate how Coeur d'Alene got here. Uh, you know, this has been a levy that's been on the books in one form or another for years. You know, the dependency on that levy when it is short-term money and, and, you know, applying some of that money towards salaries, all of that. The bottom line is the situation that they're in right now is that they're saying this is a quarter of their budget. Totally. And I think... You know, when they ran their March levy and it failed, part of that question was be having it become a permanent levy. Mm -hmm. And you see these cities that have higher salary. Boise and Blaine County are great examples. Both of them have permanent indefinite term levies. And a lot of those go to make sure that you're truly supplementing what it costs to be an educator in those communities. And I think Coeur d'Alene was really acknowledging they've had, you know, that levy had passed at that rate for the previous 10 years. And, you know, they thought, well, let's make this a more stable and predictable part of our budget. And the community said no. So um, even though I think that I think there's a high likelihood that the Coeur d'Alene community is seeing what's at stake here, I, I really, truly believe that. Um, but in two years, they're going to have to be back having the same conversation. And you know, I think in an ideal world, no school district is having to rely on a supplemental levy. I mean, I think that's true. But, you know, what it costs to run a school district these days, the positions that it needs to fill all the different gaps that we have to offer as educational institutions is real. And uh, they're doing the best they can to operate. And, you know, we look down the state at even small districts. You know, I think Salmon Rivers levy is only four hundred and thirty thousand dollars. But that covers all their extracurriculars and all their curriculum adoption and things that are just really unfunded mandates coming down from the state or federal government in order to just stay open. So, And it feels like what we're seeing next week with these supplemental levies on the May ballot is what we're going to see in, the, in years to come. Because of the elimination of the March elections, you're going to see districts like you know, in a situation like what Coeur d'Alene is in next week, what Salmon River is in next week, where if a levy passes, that's one thing. But if it fails, then you've got to make some really quick decisions and difficult decisions. You definitely do. And, you know, <laughs> I got I, th I think I got fairly heavily criticized about the March election and how maybe unnecessary it felt to people. But 
you know, people have been budgeting for the next school year since January, since basically the state of the state came out. They're trying to calculate, okay, how can we go into negotiations? And, you know, people have set their budget date. We know when their budgets are going to be heard and when they have to be set. And if you have 20 to 20% of your budget, or I think in uh, West Bonner, it's over 30% of their budget that suddenly disappeared. Um, I see those districts having to reopen their budgets. Um, and make adjustments as they go. They could again run a, an August levy if that's what they wanted to do, um, or they could just move forward and make adjustments in the necessary cuts. And that's just that's just is what it is, right? Mm -hmm. You don't uh, new money rarely pops up in the middle of the year unless you've had like a surge of enrollment or something like that. So you get what you get, and you do have to make do. And sometimes that means cutting things like extracurricular activities. Um, which, by the way, the legislature says is a non-essential part of public school. Um, it's it's a privilege and not a right is being able to play on the school's football team. So, and also these May elections are they're different than the March election. The March was a standalone school election. It was May next year. May coincides with a uh, party primary. So that's a very different election. Very different. Uh, process of messaging when you're on, you know, competing for attention alongside of a, uh, a contested uh, party primary. Absolutely. And even this year, even this year, I mean, Meridian and Coeur d'Alene, you got library board elections that are, you know, who knew library board elections would be this interesting. Totally. And I think it brings out like the, the ugly divisiveness, like part of the sacredness of the March election was the fact that like you could have this conversation, this open dialogue and the, all the focus was on the school district. Right. Instead of like a mailer that has really nasty political divisiveness things on it. For example, I, I saw a mailer that went out for Coeur d'Alene's levy in, in March that featured a drag queen and, you know, alluded to LGBT stuff, which was all very intentionally inflammatory that really had nothing to do with the school district operational levy. None of it was based in fact or reality, but when people are going out to vote, they're used to getting a ton of mail in their hand. And, you know, it can be really easy to believe what somebody says on a pretty postcard versus what you're hearing directly from the school district. So yes, I think it will be different. I also think you're going to see a lot of people shift to November. Um, and I think that's actually a good thing. That is a hundred percent, you know, the highest turnout is always in the November general election. Um, now, timing wise, you're going to have to wait and see because I think, you know, they have to wait till the following September to actually certify that whatever levy you run in November. But um, yes, in in short, you're going to see more levies in May and November moving forward for sure. So what you would see is a district run a levy in November, anticipating where their expenditures might be that following June. July Correct. for the following yeah, budget year. And if that fails, they can come back in May would be the, the logic there. Yeah, it gives them time because, again, sometimes the school district misses the mark. We thought you wanted a brand new elementary school, but instead you the community really wanted you to renovate it instead. And I think that's why, you know, when school districts go out for an election, they obviously want it to pass, but it's also the ability for the community to weigh in about what exactly they want as patrons from from this, you know, institution that we all as a community benefit from. And sometimes that means it fails and you go back to the drawing board with your community and you work collaboratively to figure out really what's next for the school district and what the patrons are willing to sign on to. 
The last piece I wanted to talk about, and the last piece of the puzzle from House Bill 292, the property tax law, we're starting to see some preliminary numbers about what that's going to mean at the district level. What can districts expect to get to pass along in the, in the form of property tax relief? And the numbers that I'm reporting this week, early numbers, not set in stone from State Department of Education, might be 11 million or so for West Ada. It might be 4 million or so for, for the Bonneville district. 3 million for Coeur d'Alene. Putting those kind of numbers in the context of these bond and levy proposals, they don't quite add up. I mean, this this is not going to necessarily overnight replace bonds and levies. Correct. And yes, it, it certainly is not enough to replace all bonds and levies, but it's not nothing. I mean, I mm -hmm. think people will feel uh, relief in their areas so long as your home value is not rising significantly because that's you know the other piece is that you, if your assessment goes up you know hypothetically your levy rate goes down but I can't guarantee that people are going to see a certain amount of reduction you know in their property tax bill but in general it's certainly going to help but you're right in the context of all of the actual debt incurred by school districts it's it is a drop it's not a drop in the bucket. I wish I could say it's like a half, it's a tablespoon in the mm -hmm. bucket, right? Like it's not nothing, but it certainly is not a silver bullet. Um, you know, like I said, I think over time, you're gonna see of course a decrease in, in, in the operational levy, you know, reliance. Mostly because one, state investment has gone up and whenever you see the state investment going up in the operations, you typically see a dip in, in supplemental levies. Uh, but the school, uh, the state still has a long way to go when it comes to infrastructure, right? For building new schools, for maintenance, for upkeep, for school safety, for things like that. Um, where I hope people realize that there needs to be some tempered expectations is the new facilities, right? Where how much of this actual House Bill 292 money is actually going to go to build a new school? Well, at this point, I think only maybe one district is actually able to turn over money mm -hmm. um, meaningfully in the one debt free central. district in the state. Yeah, right. I think it's like Pondere. So I think it will take some time for really that to come to fruition. But you know what? We have it started. And I think we can really focus on how to really make more meaningful investments into, say, the school facilities fund and help provide property tax relief to constituents. Um, I think it's possible. It's going to take time and it's going to take more collaboration at the legislative level. But I, I, I'm optimistic today. And it's going to take means at the state level and it's going to take political wherewithal to continue to put money into this fund. I mean, it was done this year. But does the state sustain this kind of investment? Correct, because I think, you know, the forecasting we only really have is five years from the state of Idaho. So assuming there is still surplus and assuming that things are still forecasted to be in Idaho's favor, then great. But otherwise, you're right. It's going to take a longer political conversation about ensuring that that fund is sustainable and that we're meeting the needs of school districts, too, because I, I often hear that the legislature, you know, they're there for their constituents, but they also have a constitutional obligation to public schools. So we really have to balance both needs and make sure that the needs of both are being met. And, um, you know, I still think there's there's still definitely work to do on both fronts. 
But I think especially in the school facilities infrastructure, uh, we cannot continue to let that one go. I think Senate education killed the, the only meaningful attempt to address facilities coming from the school facilities working group. Right. And I don't see anyone, you know, really chomping at the bit to really address that. So I hope that, you know, these conversations, when people are looking at their May levy and their, their May election ballot, that they're really cognizant that the state is still not providing adequate support for school facilities, maintenance and new builds at the, at the state level. And we have to work together as communities to make sure that that is still a focus. That's a years and years down the road challenge. And we've got enough to sort out just in next week. <laughs> this is true. Let's get through election day first. <laughs> Quinn, thanks as always for taking the time to talk us through this and, and, and being on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Again, that was Quinn Perry, the deputy director of the Idaho School Boards Association, talking about Tuesday's school elections. And if you are just now getting caught up on the elections, you're wondering what's happening in your part of the state, we have you covered at idahoednews.org. Matt Dennis has an in-depth look at the West Ada plant facilities levy. He also has a detailed roundup of everything that's on the ballot from the panhandle clear over to eastern Idaho. Darren Svahn has additional coverage from Coeur d'Alene and the supplemental levy proposal. And my Thursday analysis piece takes a look at the big picture of, of the politics of all of this. What's at stake? how the rules are changing. A lot of the topics that Quinn Perry and I were just talking about in the podcast, I break down in my weekly analysis piece. You can find that at idahoednews.org. Now, you know, I love to talk about politics. I could do it all day, but I do want to uh, spend a minute talking about a really cool feature that we've just launched at idahoednews.org. Sadie Dittenberg has the first installment of this. She spoke to House Education Committee Chairwoman Julie Yamamoto about the teacher that changed her life, her favorite teacher. And that's the, the series that we're working on. It'll be an ongoing series where we're talking to Idahoans about the teacher that really impacted you and really impacted your life. So if you have a story to share, if you have a teacher that you want to uh, put in the spotlight, we want to hear from you. We want to tell those stories. So get in touch with us. We, we'd love to hear from you. And check in with us at idahoednews.org. All of next week is going to be another big week of education policy and education politics. It kicks off first thing Monday morning. State Board of Education is going to meet. They're going to talk about college tuition and fees. And then, of course, Tuesday we'll have the elections and we'll have full coverage of the elections. We'll have all of the results for you. So follow us at idahoednews.org on a daily basis. Uh, see what we've got in the, the latest in education policy and education politics. Follow us on Twitter. We tweet out links to our latest stories and bulletins on breaking items. Follow us on Facebook and join the conversation there. Comment on our stories there. And check back for another edition of my podcast and another edition of Carly Flandro's Teacher's Lounge podcast. You can find both of those at idahoednews.org or wherever you find your podcasts. Until next time, I'm Kevin Richard. Take care. <laughs>